And welcome back to the Word Encounter episode 90. Before we proceed, I forgot to mention a few episodes ago that um, we are about a third of the way through the entire Bible and a little bit over half of the way through the Old Testament. And so we are making very, very good progress, in case you were wondering. Uh, we stopped in uh, Job chapter 13 yesterday, so we're going to continue on with chapter 14. And uh, we recall that, you know, Job is in the midst of, um, of complete and total despair with regard to his condition, and his friends have come along to try to uh, soothe him. <laughs> I guess you could call it that, but we see that him and his friends are in kind of a tussle. Um, you know, Job uh, holding on to his integrity, thinking as though he, he did nothing wrong, and his friends are convinced that he has sinned or somehow done something wrong, and that is why he is experiencing the wrath of God. And so we go on in chapter 14. Let's skip down to verse 13. It says, if only, um, if only you would hide me in Sheol and conceal me until your anger passes. Sheol is kind of a, a hell, you know. And uh, if only you would appoint a time for me and then remember me. Uh, when a person dies, will he come back to life? If so, I would wait all the days of my struggle until my relief comes. And so we have to remember uh, that in Old Testament times, there was really no concept of, of eternity or everlasting life. Uh, obviously, Jesus had not come yet, and so there was no revelation of this. And so, you know, I, I would imagine that there was a quite a bit of wonderment and wondering about uh, what the status of a person is after they die. And so, and so what Joel is saying is uh, when a person dies, will he come back to life? He doesn't know. He doesn't know. I suspect he thinks that maybe they won't. And it says, if so, I would wait all the days of my life. Um, I will wait all the days of my struggle until my relief comes. And so he was saying, I, I will endure this, you know, if there's life after death. But in other uh, places you can see that he just wishes that he were dead. And so uh, that leads me to believe that maybe he may hope that there is life after death, but he doesn't know for sure. And then he says in verse 15, uh, you would call and I would answer you. You would long for the work of your hands. For then uh, you would count my steps, but would not take note of my sin. My rebellion would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover my, you would cover over my iniquity. And so here's a, so when a person is in despair, we know uh, because a lot of us, all of us at some point in time have been in despair and, and probably multiple times, you don't really, you're not really thinking straight a lot of times. So here we see that um, in verse 17, uh, Job, uh, Job says that my rebellion would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity. But in other uh, writings, we see that Job didn't think he did anything wrong. He didn't think he had any iniquity. And now he's saying that, you know, if there's everlasting life, essentially, um, uh, then I'll wait for it and you can cover up my iniquity. So he's, he's you know, going back and forth, was trying to grapple with why he's dealing with uh, what he's dealing with. And so we go on to chapter 15 and we see, uh, now this is a second round of speeches that his friends are going to give. And so we go back to Eliphaz and in chapter 15, verse one, it says, then Eliphaz replied, does a wise man answer with empty counsel or fill himself with the hot east wind? 
<laughs> and so, you know, Eliphaz is talking about Job. He's essentially saying you are filling yourself with hot air. You know, uh, verse three, should he argue uh, with useless talk or with words that serve no good purpose? So he's basically saying, Job, your words are useless. But you are, um, but you even undermine the fear of God and hinder mediation before him. Your iniquity teaches you what to say and you choose the language of the crafty. In other words, you know, it seems like Eliphaz is telling Job, you know, you're speaking uh, all this poetic language and you're being real um, um, uh, verbose about what you're saying and whatnot. But you're doing that because your iniquity is guiding you. And it's, it, it, it's causing you to speak in this crafty way. And it says in verse 6, your own mouth condemns you, not I. Your own lips testify against you. You were the first human. See, were you the first human ever born or were you brought forth before the hills? And so he's, he's basically saying, Joel, you know, are you as old as this earth? You know, do you, do you have like this infinite supply of wisdom? <laughs> Do you listen in on the counsel of God or have you or have a monopoly on wisdom? What do you know that we don't? Um, what do you understand that is not clear to us? And so they're taking the position that, Joel, you, you are positioning yourself, or at least this is the way you, uh, we're interpreting what you're saying. You are positioning yourself as being a wiser than us, more knowledgeable than us, and whatnot. And where is this coming from? You know, I, you're not more knowledgeable than us. Now, remember, Joel had basically said the same thing to them. But So they're going back and forth. In verse 10, both the gray-haired and the elderly are with us, uh, older than your father. And so Eliphaz is saying, look, <clears throat> we have access to wisdom, just like you do. You're not superior to us in this regard. Because we have access to, to the elderly and to their wise counsel and so on and so forth. In verse 17, he says, listen to me and I will inform you. I will describe what I have seen, what the wise have declared and not concealed. that came from their ancestors to whom alone the land was given when no foreigner passed among them. Now, now he starts to describe a wicked person. A wicked person rise in pain all his days throughout the number of years reserved for the ruthless. Dreadful sounds fill his ears. When he is at peace, a robber attacks him. He doesn't believe he will return from darkness. He is destined for the sword. He wanders about for food, asking where is it. He knows the days of darkness is at hand. Trouble and distress terrify him, overwhelming, uh, overwhelming him like a king prepared for battle. For he has stretched out his hand against God and has arrogantly opposed the Almighty. He rushes headlong at him with his stick, uh, with his, with his thick studded shield, uh, though his face is covered with fat and his waistline bulges with it. <laughs> I like that. Though his face is covered with fat and his waistline bulges with it. He will dwell in the ruined cities and abandoned houses are destined to become piles of rubble. He will no longer be rich. His wealth will not endure. His possessions will not increase in the land. And so, and so we see again here that one of his friends is, is espousing the theology and the philosophy that the wicked always you know, experience what they deserve in this life. And that is not true. <laughs> the, the wicked don't always get what we feel they deserve in this life. And so, um, well, Joel's going to kind of address that. Let's go on. 
Let's drop down to chapter 16 and verse 1, where uh, Joel answers Eliphaz. It says, Then Job answered, I have heard many things like this. Uh, in other words, you're not, you're not telling me anything I haven't heard. This is nothing new, Eliphaz. You are all miserable comforters. Is there no end to your empty words? <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, you know, Joel is, 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 uh, Joel. Job is con condemning his friends because he's, he's essentially saying your counsel is horrible. What provokes you that continue? What provokes you that you continue testifying? If you were in my place, I could also talk like you. I could string words together against you and shake my head at you. Instead, I would encourage you with my mouth, and the consolation from my lips would bring relief. And so Job is saying, "Look, if, I, if you were in my place and I was in your place, I'd be tender with you. I would be consoling with you. I would be encouraging to you." You guys are coming at me, you know, with a sword, and I don't, I don't get this. You know, we're essentially we're supposed to be partners. We're supposed to be boys, but the way you're coming at me isn't right. This is this is Job's perspective. And uh, so let's drop down to chapter or excuse to verse eighteen. Earth says, "Do not cover my blood. Uh, may my cry for help find no resting place." Now this is interesting. He says, uh, "Even now, my witness is in heaven." and my advocate is in the heights. My friends scoff at me as I weep before God. I wish that someone might argue for a man with God. I wish that someone might argue for a man with God, just as anyone would for a friend. Again, I think this is a, 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 a prophetic vision or desire on Job's part, because this is speaking directly from my perspective about Jesus. He says, I wish that someone might argue for a man with God just as anyone would for a friend. Chapter 17, verse 1. Job saying, uh, my spirit is broken, my days are extinguished, a graveyard awaits me, surely mockers surround me, and my eyes must gaze at their re rebellion. And so, you know, Job is, you know, at sometimes we feel like, okay, he hasn't given up, and then other times... We, the, the word makes it seem like, yeah, he has given up. And so, um, and he bounces back and forth. And again, I don't think this is anything new for anybody who has experienced despair, depression, anxiety, or whatever, because the same sort of things happen. We're like at war with ourselves with regard to what we're believing at any particular point in time. And so we bounce back and forth, you know, being unstable in our mind and our thinking and our conclusions. And we can see that Job is, is, is doing this. In chapter 18, Bildad goes for his second speech. And he says, how long until you stop talking? Show some sense and then we can talk. Why, have we Why are we regarded as cattle as stupid in your sight? And so obviously Bildad is, 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 is processing what Job is saying as, as calling them stupid and ignorant and dumb. And so he's taking offense to that. In verse 5, it says, yes. And, and so he's going he's gonna to kind of pick up where um, uh, Eliphaz was with regard to a description of what happens to the wicked, and which is why we believe you have been wicked or else you wouldn't be experiencing this stuff. In verse 5, yes, the light of the wicked is extinguished. The flame of his fire does not glow. The light in his tent grows dark, and the lamp beside him is put out. 
His powerful stride is shortened, and his own schemes uh, trip him up. For his own feet led him into a net, uh, yes, and he strays into its mesh. A trap catches him by the heel, a noose seizes him, a rope lies hidden from him on the ground, and a snare waits him along the path. Terrors frighten him on every side and harass him at every step. His, um, his strength is depleted. Disaster lies ready for him to stumble. Parts of his skin are eaten away. Death, uh, death's firstborn consumes his limbs. He is ripped from the security of his tent and marched, out, uh, and marched away to the king of terrors. Nothing he owned remains in his tent. Burning sulfur is scattered over his home. His roots uh, below dry up and his branches above wither away. All memory of him perishes from the earth. He has no name anywhere. He is driven from the light to darkness and chased from the inhabited world. He has no children or descendants among his people, no survivors where he used to live. Those uh, in the west are appalled at his fate, while those in the east tremble in, hor in horror. Indeed, uh, such is the dwelling of the unjust man, and is uh, and is and this is the place of the one who does not know God. And so we see Bildad is repeating this thing. All these things happen to wicked people in this earth, in this lifetime. All these wicked things. And with the things that you have suffered, you must be wicked. And therefore, that's why you must ask God for forgiveness and raise your hands of prayer and stop arguing with us and assuming you haven't done anything wrong because you know you have, else we know that you have, else none of this stuff would be happening to you, Job. And so... Um, so Job responds to Bildad in chapter 19. Then Job answered, How long will you torment me and crush me with your words? You have humiliated me ten times now, and you mistreat me with, uh, without shame. And so again, you know, Job is on this trail of like, look, you guys are supposed to be here to comfort me, but you're doing a horrible job. And, and you're just coming at me and coming at me and coming at me. Let's drop down to verse 13. Uh, that's still in chapter 19. He says, um, he has removed my brothers from me. My acquaintances have abandoned me. My relatives stopped coming by and my close friends have forgotten me. My house, get, my house guests and female servants regard me as a stranger. I am a foreigner in their sight. I call for my servant, but he does not answer, even if I beg him with my own mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife and my own family finds me repulsive. Even young boys scorn me. When I stand up, they mock me. All of my best friends despise me, and those I love have turned against me. Verse 21, have mercy on me, my friends, have mercy, for God's hand has struck me. Why do you persecute me like as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? And so, you know, Job is like coming back at his boys. It's like, don't, haven't you guys have, had enough? You know, why do you keep coming at me? It seems like you come at me wave after wave after wave, and it's like you're piling on. You see that I'm down. You see that I'm beaten. You see that I'm defeated, yet you keep coming and you keep piling on. And if I had friends like Job, I would probably feel the same way. And then in chapter 20, now Zophar has his turn, his second turn. <laughs> so uh, he replies, this is, why my uh, this is why my unsettling thoughts compel me to answer, because I am upset. 
And so in other words, Jophar is saying, why do I keep coming at you? Or why do we keep coming at you? Um, this is why. Because we're upset. We, you know, we don't, we don't like what we're hearing. I have heard a rebuke that insults me, and my understanding makes me reply. And he's saying, Job, you, you know, you, you're asking, you know, why do we keep coming at you? But why do you keep coming at us? This is the way we're interpreting this. Verse 4, don't you know that ever since uh, antiquity, from the time a, a human was placed on earth, the joy of the wicked has been brief, and the happiness of the godless has lasted only a moment? Though his arrogance reaches heaven and his head touches the clouds, he will vanish uh, forever like his own dung. And so, again, they're coming with the same philosophy. You know, don't you know that the wicked only thrive for a moment? You know, their, their, their time is short-lived. And, and, and then the hammer comes down on them, just like the hammer came down on you. So, again, you must be wicked. You must have done something wrong. <clears throat> It says, his children were begged uh, from the poor for his own hands must give back his wealth. He will suck the poison of, of cobra. Uh, he will suck the poison of cobras. A viper's fangs will kill him. He will not enjoy the streams, uh, the rivers flowing with honey and curds. He must return the fruit of his labor without consuming it. He doesn't enjoy the profits from his trading, for he is oppressed and abandoned. For he is oppressed and abandoned the poor. He seized a house. Uh, he did not build. And so again, he's coming at the wicked, saying this is what's going to happen to the wicked. You know, bad things. Verse 22, at the height of his success, distress will come to him. A full weight of misery will crush him. The possessions of his house will be removed, flowing away on the day of God's anger. This is the wicked person's lot from God, the inheritance of God ordained for him. And so they can't foresee why any of this stuff would happen to a righteous man. From their perspective, the things that Job is experiencing only happens to wicked men. And so that's why they feel they've rightly concluded that, Job, you have been wicked in some way. And you need to, um, you need to turn back to God. And you need to atone for your sin. In chapter 21, Job answers Zophar. He says, as for me, is my complaint against a human being? Then why shouldn't I be impatient? And so, in, 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 in other words, I think Job is interpreting what his friends are saying as um, him having a complaint against them. And he's saying, do I have a complaint against a human being? No, my issue is with God. It's not with you guys. It's with God. But you guys are making it seem like my issue is with you or my ultimate issue. In verse 7. Why do the wicked continue to live, growing old and becoming powerful? And so this is a question that has been asked throughout history. You know, why do the wicked seem to prosper and the righteous seem to suffer? And so Job says, you know, why do the wicked continue to live, growing old and becoming powerful? And so he's coming against what his friends have been saying about, about what the lot of the wicked is and how their time is short on earth and so on and so forth, because that's not... Um, that has not been Job's observation. Neither has it been mine. Neither has it been a lot of people's. In verse 8, he says, Their children are established while they are still alive, and their descendants before their eyes. Their homes are secure and free from fear. No rod from God strikes them. And so Job is telling them, look, this is my observation of the wicked. 
you know, they don't seem to be paying any price. They don't seem to be suffering at all. I don't know what you guys are looking at, but this is what I'm seeing. In verse 13, they spend their days in prosperity. They go down to Sheol in peace. They go down to hell in peace. Uh, yet they say to God, leave us alone. We don't want to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what will we gain by pleading with him? And so in other words, they, they mock God. They disdain God. They said, look, we're living a great life. Everything's good. Our children are good. We have great homes. We have great businesses, great properties and whatnot. We're living to a ripe old age and, and whatnot. What, what do we need you for, God? Who are you that we should bow to you? That's essentially what they're saying. In verse 17, Job says, how often is the lamp of the wicked put out? Does disaster come on them? And again, he's answering, he's coming back at his friends. He said, this is, you're saying one thing about what happens to the wicked, but this is what I observe. And then in verse 19, uh, God reserves a person's punishment for his children. Let God repay the person himself so that he may know it. In other words, what Job is saying is, look, while the wicked are alive, God seems to be repaying their actions to their children, but not to them. They die, they go down in peace and whatnot, and then their children pay for their wickedness, but not them. This is Job's perspective. So he says, let God repay the person himself so that he may know it. Let his own, si let his own eyes see his demise. Let him drink from the Almighty's wrath. In other words, from, God, from Job's perspective, the wicked don't get to see the wrath of God themselves on their own lives in this earth that their, their descendants pay for their wickedness, but they don't see it. Uh, and so Job is questioning this. Verse 21, for what does he care about his family once he is dead, when the number of his months has run out? In other words, you know, when the person who committed the wickedness has died, Job is saying, what does he care about what happens with his descendants? He's dead. He doesn't know. He lived a great life. Now his descendants have to suffer for his behavior, but he's dead, so he doesn't care. And so he's questioning, Lord, why don't you punish them while they are alive and so that they know that you're you and that they uh, experience um, uh, the consequences of their own behavior. <clears throat> In verse 23, Job says, One person dies in excellent health, completely secure and at ease. His body is well fed and his bones are full of marrow. Yet another person dies with a bitter soul, having never tasted prosperity. But they both lie in the dust and worms cover them. In other words, what Job is saying is that the wicked person, you know, dies in excellent health, complete, um, completely secure and at ease. His body is well fed. But the righteous person seems to die, you know, a bitter death, having never tasted prosperity. And so, again, he's, he's, he's contrasting what his friends are believing. And he's saying, I'm not seeing this. You know, this is what I'm seeing, and, and I don't understand it. I don't get it. And so, um, and I think we all question that many times throughout our lives. Why do the wicked seem to prosper and the righteous seem to suffer? So with that... <laughs> That, that, that uplifting thought, we're going to cease today and we're going to pick it up in chapter 22 tomorrow. Everybody have a great day. Bye-bye now.